From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. A new report detailing the experiences of frontline domestic violence support workers has revealed the myriad ways the system is failing victim survivors. The report comes as New South Wales Parliament debates reforms to the police and courts' response to family violence. Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on how survivors are falling through the gaps and what needs to change. Rick, this is a story about the ways in which domestic violence victims are being let down by the system that is supposed to protect them. And you have spoken to some women who have first-hand accounts of, of that happening. So can you tell me about one of them? Yeah, let's start with Natalie. So she's a single mum of three kids. Uh, she's also a survivor of domestic violence. Uh, I think I've moved six times in the last six years, five years. Jesus. Uh, just trying to keep myself and my family safe because I've given up on police and courts and services helping me. Her experience with the police and with these things we call apprehended domestic violence orders in New South Wales, which is essentially a piece of paper saying that someone shouldn't get in touch with you if you've experienced violence in that domestic setting, um, her experience with those things really is a perfect study for how we are still letting so many survivors down. Multiple times at the police station, bawling my eyes out, telling them I'm afraid, like he's going to kill me and they wouldn't put an ABO on him because there wasn't enough, he hasn't done anything you know, he actually has to hurt me or threaten my life before they'll do anything. Um, it was just more of that stalking and harassment and it just, yeah, wasn't enough for the police. You know, he'd call her constantly. Often it was from a private number or a different number that wasn't his and they would say, oh, we don't we don't know it's him. So they couldn't do anything and the stalking escalated. Uh, multiple text messages. He'd come around and mess with my car. He'd break into my house. He'd steal things. So it's kind of like this kind of operation in the shadows and he knew that he was doing something that couldn't necessarily get him pinged for it. And it got to the stage, she was saying, where the police were actually getting sick of her calling them. What she didn't know at the time, but what the police definitely did, was that the man, her former partner, had multiple orders made to protect, you know, a partner before Natalie, who ended up suiciding. He also had neighbours who had taken out AVOs, the apprehended violence orders for general violence against him. And Natalie herself had logged 12 individual domestic violence events with the New South Wales police, but they were either unable or unwilling to help her. And then one night he tried to kill her. I woke up to being strangled and he was yelling at me. I remember just trying to get away from him. He punched me. Um, and her, her three kids um, were in the house and, and witnessed the whole thing. I, I believed I was going to die that night. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be a statistic. And that was when he was finally charged after that attack, not just with the, the violent offences, but finally with breaching the apprehended domestic violence order that she had against him. Right. So, Rick, Natalie was being repeatedly abused by her partner and she was reporting that abuse to police. She was looking for help, but police didn't act until he tried to kill her. That's 100% correct. And that is actually a really common situation. For example, Natalie has three children and despite trying to get them added to the apprehended domestic violence order, she hadn't been successful. Like, I know that he's the type of guy that would probably hurt my kids to hurt me. I see those stories on TV and I'm just like, oh, that could have happened to me. There's a thing we call a protected person that gets added to one of those orders and if you're the woman making it, for example, 
you're automatically a protected person, but it is not very common uh, in New South Wales to be have your kids added to that order. I did ask and I was told no because he, so I was told that he still had a right to see the children, so they went for the AVO. The New South Wales police can do it, but typically they kind of decide not to, and almost 90% of frontline workers had encountered issues with police refusing to include children as these protected persons on these orders. And failing to include children as protected persons creates a loophole wherein the perpetrator can retain access to the victim. Right, so why would police not want to include children on a protected violence order in this case? That's the, the key question here. And, you know, under the New South Wales Crimes Act, Police are the only authority that can make the application for children to be listed on a violence order as a protected person. And in doing so, they they have the power within the Family Law Act to override, suspend or vary an existing parenting order. However, police appear anxious not to contradict family court rulings or to deal with the complexity involved and this inherent belief surrounding a father's right um, to see their children or have access to their children. Okay, and so... This experience that Natalie went through, how common is it? This is not um, something out of left field. And Natalie's experience maps really quite completely to these two position papers that have been released by Women's Safety New South Wales last week. And they're probably the most detailed frontline research conducted in the state about these issues. And the research papers themselves are drawn from multiple surveys of family violence workers in New South Wales who themselves support about 50,000 women and their children each and every year in the state. Mm. And so what else did those workers say? So almost three quarters of frontline workers surveyed by Women's Safety New South Wales expressed that they had encountered the misidentification of the primary aggressor in some way, shape or form. And, And one in 10 victims themselves of family violence told the researchers that they had experienced police misidentifying them as a person of interest for an apprehended domestic violence order or charging them as the offender, notwithstanding the fact that they were the primary victim. In other words, an order might be made against a woman when she is the one being abused. And in these cases, the research indicates police and later the court system are hamstrung by the rigidity of the law itself and this superficial understanding at best of what family violence actually looks like. So last year, 22% of people against whom there were proceedings for domestic assault in New South Wales were women. And why is that? It's, it's because women might fight back in a single incident. So it might finally come to a head, you know, on a Tuesday, right? And she might bite him because he's threatened her or slap him. And when the cops called and they asked, did you hit him? Women have no reason to lie because, you know, in their head, it makes perfect sense about the history of the abuse and the intimidation and the threats. So in these instances, it's often the women who are charged when really you need to look at the entire history and the pattern of the abuse, which the current laws do not really allow the police to do. We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. 
With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Rick, when we think about the ways in which domestic violence survivors are being failed by the system, what is the cause? When we really trace this back, is this a policing problem? Is it police officers failing these women or is it a legal problem? Do we need different laws? It's definitely a combination of the two. And, you know, when I spoke to Women's Safety New South Wales Chief Executive Hayley Foster, she said the same thing. When it comes to reporting uh, domestic violence, when victim survivors are wanting to report, there are structural elements that are making it difficult. Uh, But there's also a very strong cultural element, and that came out very strongly in both surveys. You know, some of those um, laws that we've got about stalking and intimidation can look at a pattern of behaviour over time. But there are many aspects, she says, of domestic and family violence law uh, and abuse related to coercive control, for instance, that just cannot be picked up by those intimidation and stalking offences which are contained within the existing Crimes Act. It, it's, it's very, very difficult uh, for many victim survivors to get an appropriate response because a lot of what they experience is, is not, ne- not necessarily captured in the law yet. So we've got a situation now where we've got these, um, we've got a very narrow definition of the law because it's very hard um, for police to charge for something that's not contained in the legislation. So typically the easiest thing to charge for is physical assault, sexual assault, things like that. Harder to prove if you don't have something in the law, a pattern of abuse and behaviour such as kind of cutting off contact from family, monitoring who you call and when. These things are all abuse but much harder to kind of pin down in a single situation when the police have been called out to a domestic violence event. So so that is, uh, again, a really strong reason for why we need to um, increase the availability of those provisions for people who are experiencing the coercive control, that ongoing pattern, so that police are then required to take into account the full context. If you don't have something in the legislation that says this is actually a thing, such as coercive control then you're not actually training the police to look for it. And and what they find, she said, is that many of the clients will have a whole raft of information and evidence around their experience of abuse over time, over a long time, but the police have kind of got one hand tied behind their back, she says, because it's not admissible evidence. Right. And Rick, there is a push at the moment to criminalise coercive control. At this point in time, there's actually an inquiry in New South Wales that's looking into it. But while that is underway... What is the government doing? So a small number of the reforms um, that are being asked for by Women's Safety in New South Wales are actually being addressed right now in New South Wales. So this week um, we're actually seeing an amendment bill introduced by the New South Wales Attorney-General and Minister for the Prevention of Domestic Violence, Mark Speakman. We want victim survivors to feel empowered to report abuse and to be confident that when they take that courageous step, they'll be supported during proceedings. This bill would allow survivors to give evidence um, in court by audio-visual link and it would also clarify um, and would, you know, judges and magistrates would have to give directions to a jury that a delay in reporting allegations of domestic violence is not an indication that the allegations might not be true. Those close personal connections 
intertwine complainants and defendants in ways that maintain a callous grip on victims. This grip can silence reports of abuse, delay reports when victims are brave enough to come forward, so some of the structural things have been resolved, but so many more problems like the huge backlogs in getting a court hearing um, still remain. So almost 30% of surveyed victim survivors in this research who attended court for a mention reported waiting in court three to four hours before their matter was called. Uh, the answer to these challenges, Foster says, is in training. It's in specialisation of magistrates and police and prioritising the system for survivors who are so often defeated by its grinding, uncaring kind of apparatus. So it sounds like there are things happening, but there is still a long way to go, Rick. And and someone like Natalie, who you spoke to, she would be following all of this very closely, I, I would imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, I was talking to Natalie about this and she was saying that particularly if coercive control was criminalised, she would have been able to, at least in theory, been able to get... Um, police to intervene much sooner, certainly before the night where her ex-partner tried to kill her. It would have helped me because I could have gone to the police and show, said this is all the things he's doing, which was coercive control, and they could have acted. It was always, well, he hasn't hit you, he hasn't threatened your life. I think one of the most important things about this whole story, I guess, is something really kind of um, haunting that Natalie said at the end of our conversation. I think for every service that there is, they need to know that the woman that's coming, she's the expert. She knows him better than anybody. So if she's coming in and saying that this is him or, I, like, I'm afraid or I know this is going to happen, believe her. And so this idea that dealing with domestic violence and family violence, that, you know, the systems know better, it's not true. And she said, it starts with belief. This woman knows more than you. Believe her take her seriously and you will actually begin to unravel the mystery of what has gone on. And that's how we begin to, to solve this problem. Mm. Rick, thank you so much for talking to me about this. Thanks for having me, Ruby. The name of the victim survivor who you heard in this episode has been changed. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, Donald Trump has continued to tweet false claims that the US presidential election had been stolen. The outgoing president refused to concede, while Joe Biden worked with his transition team to prepare for government. And Sydney's famous New Year's Eve fireworks show will have restricted access this year. Revelers will be blocked from the CBD, and only frontline workers will be given tickets to watch a shorter version of the midnight fireworks from the harbour. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow. Listener.